Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we've got back on the show Jamaica's first Olympic alpine ski racer. Man, that has a nice ring to it. At this past Olympic Winter Games, our friend Benji Alexander became Jamaica's first Olympic alpine ski racer. And we've had Benji on a couple times before. We had him on as he was on his quest to qualify for the Winter Games. We then had Benji back on the show this past March to talk about competing at the Winter Games. And since then, Benji has been very busy working specifically to open up more doors for more athletes and more countries when it comes to participation in the Winter Games. And while Benji's work has really focused primarily on Jamaica, the work that he is doing really could serve as a blueprint for a number of different countries, whether we are talking about winter sports participation or, in some cases, the reverse, increasing summer participation. And as Benji and I say in this conversation, the first time I talked to Benji about his personal quest, I really didn't see the broader vision. But our conversation today is really all about that broader vision and why increasing representation and participation and competition are all things that are incredibly beneficial and really critical for the future of winter sports going forward. And while our conversation here today certainly functions on its own as a standalone conversation, we will include links to our other two Blister Podcast conversations because hearing all three of these together even fleshes things out even further, and you will be completely up to speed on this heck of a ride that Benji has been on. And just one more thing I want to say before we get going. As you'll hear, Benji is talking a lot about skiing broadly. So we're talking about alpine skiing as well as cross-country or Nordic skiing. And I want to ask a favor here. Given that we have a very broad Blister podcast audience and quite a global one, I'd like to ask a favor specifically for any of you connected with brands in the cross-country or Nordic ski world. As you'll hear in this conversation, Benji sees a unique opportunity in cross-country or Nordic skiing. And so for those of you who are connected with brands that play in those spaces, send Benji a message to learn more because I think there really is a big opportunity here. So if you're connected with a cross-country slash Nordic brand, pay particularly close attention, folks. And thanks in advance. This episode of the Blister Podcast is presented by Open Snow. Open Snow has been my go to weather app for some time, and we have an exclusive offer for you and our Blister audience. Just go to opensnow.com/slash blister, and you can get an exclusive free 60-day trial 
where you will be able to test drive all of OpenSnow's best features, including custom 10-day snow forecasts for any location on Earth. You can track incoming storms with high-resolution weather maps. You can read expert analysis via local daily snow forecasters. And there is a whole lot more with this exclusive free 60-day trial. So you've got absolutely nothing to use this is the app that I use the most. So head over to opensnow.com slash blister. And now let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Benji Alexander. Here we go. Benji, how are you today and where are you today? I am absolutely amazing. Uh, You reached me in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, New York City. And have you been living on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, or are you just there for a bit? What's going on here? Just here for a bit. I uh, can't wait to get back into the mountains. We record this on the 11th of November, and the stoke is high. Jackson had three feet of snow in the last four or five days, so can't wait to get back out there. We'll be spending a bit of time up in Canada as well. Um, but since we last spoke August of last year, I've probably been through the better part of 15, 16 countries on my mission to qualify and and then kind of traveling around since the Olympics. <laughs> 15 or 16 countries. Is that all? Yeah, about that. <laughs> um, and a lot of that was training and a lot of that was racing. Um, then there was obviously Beijing. And I think we kind of briefly touched on the fact that I spent some of my adult life, almost 10 years of my adult life in, in Asia. Uh, and yep. so was pulled back out to Asia this summer for a family emergency and decided to go and seal the friends uh, in, in the places where I used to live. Obviously, I hadn't had the chance to see them while training or during the pandemic. Well, I'm happy to be catching up with you today. Sounds like we have a number of things to catch up on and there's going to be a number of updates here. Maybe let's keep it kind of macro level for a minute. Aside from traveling a ton I mean, does it feel like your life has gotten sort of busier or have things slowed down a bit for you? Like, how's just life? (laughs) Yeah, it's gotten broader. Um, When we spoke last time, I was singly focused on qualifying and doing things that were additive and supportive to that. So that included speaking to people from the media, such as yourself. That included just being in the gym. That included being on skis or or out in you know training in some way, whenever I possibly could. And it was very, very singularly focused on that. Now, since the Olympics, there's been um, a bit of public speaking. There's been a lot of thinking about what is the next phase in, in my life. Um, and there's been a lot of work being put towards what is the next phase for Jamaica at the Winter Olympics. So it hasn't slowed down. And I think you and I had this, we joked about this at the end of the last recording that you're like, yeah, right, it's not going to slow down after the Olympics, buddy. You're just going to find something <laughs> else to entertain your time. And I, I guess you were right. Uh, I might have been a little bit short-sighted to think that it would be the Olympics and then I could sit back and relax for a while. So it's it's just as busy, but a, a lot broader now. So where do we begin Let's let's start hearing about what you've been up to and what you've been working on. Right. So we spoke in August um, of last year, you know, a good 14, 15 months ago. And actually, your podcast was really pivotal in getting my story far and wide across the ski industry uh, and was actually instrumental in helping me get uh, a ski sponsor with Atomic. And so I thank you dearly for that. And it's just um, you know, a wonderful thing that you did for me. 
Um, since coming back from the Olympics, I've really been focused on what was my, my main objective. So objective number one was to get to the Olympics and to prove that this thing was possible. Objective number two was for that to be a proof of concept to show other people that there's no reason that they shouldn't be thinking about sending their kids of Jamaican descent or any other small nation to the Olympics. And what was really interesting is from all of the media coverage that I got, um, all of the TV exposure that I got, um, not including any of the Olympic coverage, my story got almost 8.7 billion media impressions um, around the world from all of the newspapers and podcasts and TV shows. And the, the, the benefit of that was that I had so many people who were of Jamaican descent or other small nations just saying, wow, I never realized this was possible. Or maybe I, I tried to do this two or three Olympic cycles ago, but I just got stuck in the quagmire of understanding how it works, what the qualification procedure would be, and if this was even possible. And you've shown that it's possible. Would you be able to help me do the same thing come 2026? And so we're now in this situation where I, as the entire Jamaican ski team going to 2022, now there's going to be, I hope, competition for those alpine slots and hopefully also competition for, for Nordic, uh, for speed skating. Um, there is a, a curling team, a hockey team, um, all alongside what will hopefully be the, uh, the bobsled team. And there's even a snowboarder. So the dream of turning this into a you know, one man going as a proof of concept into a fully fledged team where there's competition to get onto the team and hopefully the chance for medals in, in a decade or two's time, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're not going to bring back medals in 2026. But, you know, building that funnel and that pathway to hopefully getting to the point where we're competing for medals, that's all happening. And it's just been awesome to see that plan come into effect. Okay, well, that's a lot. And hey, I just, you know, want to correct for the record. Our last Blister podcast conversation actually was on March 21st of this year. I looked this up while you were talking because I was like, there's no way it was August of 2021. This is the last time we did this. But then I was like, wait, maybe I'm wrong. And between email exchanges we've had or texts or the rest, I, I needed to go back and verify. So just so you know, we did actually get an update back in March of this year. And we'll put links in the show notes to this episode so people can catch our first conversation and that follow-up after the Olympics. Cause I mean, it, it was a hell of a ride you were on. And uh, I think if anybody missed those, it'll be cool for them to be able to go back and catch it like as it was happening. Right. Right. Absolutely. And so a hell of a ride is one way of putting it. That whole period <laughs> from, from qualification mid January all the way through until the middle of March, call it those 60 days just shy of was probably the most intense moment of my entire life, kind of being at the, the center of a lot of media attention um, and doing recordings such as this multiple times per day. It's sometimes hard to place together who who you spoke to and what you spoke to about what, and especially when you're kind of having these, you know, this continuing relationship of, of seeing um, the, this whole project developed. And actually, that's one of the areas, maybe, maybe I'm not as qualified as I thought I might be, but this is one of the areas that I really want to help the, the next generation of Jamaican athletes with understanding the media side of it, understanding the importance of spending time with the media and, and getting them interested and having them buy into your story and, and continuing to maintain those relationships from you know, potential qualification to going to the games and beyond. Um, and it's just, you know, for someone... 
even of my age, it can be overwhelming just to try to remember how many times we spoke. So, or if we spoke on this particular topic. So thanks for correcting that. It was only seven months ago, not 14. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and again, more and more of my life, I have to think like, yeah, was that a phone conversation or email or text messages or actually a live podcast? And it all gets a bit muddled there. So fair enough. (laughs) The biggest thing that, as I recall, when we talked prior to the Olympics, I just had not understood sort of the breadth of your vision here. It was more like, hi, I'm Benji. I'm trying to get into the Olympics and sort of open up representation in winter sports. And then what I recall about our conversation after the Olympics, that's when you really laid out, no, this isn't really just about me. This is just the opening shot to expand opportunities for many, many other people. And that is when it was like, oh my goodness, I missed that. I didn't, I didn't see it. And I, I think it's incredibly exciting and impressive that shift, right? From one person to like, nah, we're just opening the door here. This isn't the end of the story. This is literally the beginning. Right. And so it's proof of concept. And so a lot of people may say, well, what are you talking about? There, there's no, there are no mountains with snow on them for Jamaicans to, to become potential future athletes. And I think we touched on this really briefly, and I'll, I'll use Jamaica as an example for obvious reasons. But of the 5 million of us or people that have Jamaican descent around the planet, 2 million of those live between, the Canada, live between Canada, the United States, and the United Kingdom, people that do have access to winter sports. And so as it pertains to alpine ski racing, at least for the next generation or so, I assume that the majority of the athletes will be like me. They will be um, j- people of Jamaican descent that have come from the diaspora, people that have more financial freedom, shall we say, people that have more geographical proximity to mountains. But here's where it gets really interesting. I've spent a lot of time thinking about what could be the sports that offer a high level of transferable skill from something you can train without snow, from something you can train without mountains. And I've really identified two. I had some great conversations with the Jamaican Olympic Association and the Jamaican Minister for Sports about how Jamaica could um, most easily be medal winners in the Winter Olympics. And that's by identifying these sports. There are so many sports and nearly all of the sports in the Winter Games that are incredibly equipment heavy which means they're super expensive. A lot of them are very geographically dependent. You need to have certain terrain features in your backyard to be able to train them. Um, But there are a few that don't require either of those. And the two sports that I identified are cross-country, so Nordic skiing, and speed skating. Both of these have high transferable skills from roller skating um, and from roller skiing, both which we could train in Jamaica or on the plains in the Sahara in Africa or something like that. And both of them are sports that are really, really highly dependent upon your cardiovascular ability, your VO2 max, your endurance. Um, We look at alpine ski racing, and I would say that 80% of your your kind of required skill set in that is going to be your technique, 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 technique. And that's why I spent most of my time and as much of my time on mountains um, and foregoing being in the gym to just be on the mountain to increase my technique and my time on mountain. That's obviously going to be really difficult if you're someone that lives in Jamaica. But for a sport such as uh, cross-country skiing, it's 80% about your cardio ability. And Jamaica has that in spades. We know how strong Jamaica is in track and field. We know how much 
how strong the African nations are in track and field. Look at all of the medium and long distance runner, look, look, runners that are successful, most of them. Where do they come from? And so there's this really interesting fact that most of us don't realize. We understand roughly that, or very loosely, that the summer games get a little bit more attention, and that's being polite, but a little bit more attention than the winter games. But let's quantify that. There were approximately 11,000 athletes last year in Tokyo compared to just shy of 3,000 athletes. That's like a four to one almost um, at, at Beijing this year. But let's look at it from a country basis. There were 206 flags that were represented last year in Tokyo in the summer games. And a record-breaking, a record-breaking 91 countries. So that's a huge disparity. That's more than double the representation in terms of countries that go to the Summer Games. And so I have this thought. I'm speaking to my sponsors now. I'm speaking to Atomic. I'm speaking to Lecky um, about a concept where we take a coach, a cross-country coach, and some roller skis to the Caribbean, to Jamaica, and we find Jamaica's you know, 10th and 12th and 15th best track and field runners, athletes that are just outside of the bubble of likelihood of being able to ever represent the country at the Olympics in the summer games and give them another opportunity to represent the country, but in the winter games. And I feel so certain that because the majority of the kind of prerequisites for being good, the country already has, I feel so certain that we could get a Jamaican athlete at the qualification level, which is an order of magnitude easier than alpine ski racing, it's 300 fist points instead of 160. Lower is harder. Um, and it's something that's more objectively quantifiable. It's your pace against a set distance. There's a tiny bit of movement around that depending on the caliber of the field. But realistically, if you can do 15 kilometers as a man on roller skis at about a 45 or 46 minute pace, then you are a B criteria qualifier already for the Olympics. You just have to go to the world championships and achieve that. And I feel that we could go there and within a few short weeks have a whole team of athletes that are at that level. And then it gets interesting. Do we stay with that, that, that cohort and try to get them as close as possible to the top 10 and the top 20 and see if we can kind of shake the old guard of the, the Norwegians and the, and the other Scandinavian kings of this sport? Or do we then take that proof of concept and go to Africa and say, you've never been to the Winter Olympics before? Here's a proof of concept. Here's, here's us documenting from never having seen roller skis before to now being at a 42-minute pace for 15 kilometers, which means as long as the athletes have some cold endurance, um, which can be trained, you know, Wim Hof and all of these other fun things. I've been speaking to fun functional, medicine, um, functional medicine doctors already about this. We could really be in a situation where if I find funding for this, we could find 30, 40, 50 new countries come to the Winter Olympics as cross-country athletes and be their first ever representative for, for their country uh, at the Winter Games. And I think that's really, really exciting. In a moment where the International Olympic Committee is all about diversity and trying to promote diversity, where at a moment where the International Ski Federation is also all about diversity, even diversity in, in terms of supporting gender equality, I think we'd get a lot of support from the powers that be. And I'm just excited to try to put together the first steps of this, of this project and and to go back out there and almost relive cool runnings and have a couple of athletes sit in a cold freezer for, for half an hour and see who could really endure. <laughs> <laughs> so for someone listening to this, and we have talked about this before, but I'm just curious to hear how you answer the question today. You know, you've been up to a lot of things since we spoke in March. 
if someone is listening to this and is like, yeah, but why? Okay, I hear you saying that, you know, the Olympic Committee would like to see more diversity, but but why are you so passionate about bringing more countries and more individuals into more sports? Why should any of us care about this? Well, those are two different questions, right? There's the personal, why should I care? And there's the, why should anyone else care? I think what's really interesting is we think, let me answer them um, in the reverse order. Why should anyone else care? One of the really interesting things that I ran into was a bit of a headwind um, with regards to people and their take on my individual goal of going to the Olympics. A lot of people thought it was a lark. Um, and I think maybe even in, in some small way, until we've gotten through the first recording, you might have been one foot in, in that group as well. And then you understood the bigger picture and, and it was a convert of sorts. But what's really interesting is we are in a moment where the Olympics are receiving less and less attention. And that's just because of a, a kind of a tectonic shift in general with regards to people accessing media in different ways, people being interested in esports more so than track and field or people being interested in video games or just, you know, what's going on on TikTok more than having this communal moment of all sitting around the same TV at the same time as a nation, right? That that's That's way behind us. But what's really interesting is as these sports become less and less affordable, as they become for a smaller and smaller um, elite, shall we say, eventually they die. And so one of the really interesting things, Dudley Stokes, who was the pilot of the 1988 Jamaican bobsled um, team and my mentor, he said, let's look at bobsledding. 80% of the audience of bobsledding is over 60. They are male and they live in Germany. And so if you want to talk about will that sport still be in the Olympics in 30 or 40 years time, I'd probably bet the answer would be no. And so to bring more nations into these sports, let's just talk, let's just focus on cross-country skiing. I know it's not a big part of what Ballista does, but it's part of the whole world of skiing. If we could find another 50 nations that have a chance of meddling, then that's another 50 nations that are tuning in to watch those events. That's another 50 nations that are tuning in to watch the World Cup races as they as they happen all around the world. That may even bring new locations where World Cups could be hosted. And from a brand, if you are a, a Rosignor or a, or a Lecky or a Madshoes or any of these, um, or an Atomic, can't forget Atomic, um, or any of these brands, then having more nations open up where you could have people buying your gear, just a rising tide rises, raises all ships. And I had this, I had this, uh, this exact situation happen to me when I went to Austria. I had the fortune of training with one of the most renowned Austrian families in, in ski racing. It's the Shield family. There's Marley Shield, Bernadette Shield, uh, are all like World Cup winners um, and uh, Olympians. And the Shield racing camp is run by two cousins. And one of them said, why the hell would we work with Benji? This is way below what we do, our pay grade. And I just don't see the point of, of, of kind of being involved in this story. And Stefan, who's the older of the two persons, said, well, if our sport continues to just be for the 1% of the 1% and the elite, eventually the sport dies and then we don't have a job. Um, and what's really interesting is, you know, Stefan was the champion for me inside of the shield racing. And by the end of it, Joseph was also like doing everything possible and giving me all the attention possible to make sure that my dream was possible. And I think like, if you, if you don't take a moment to realize that we could be part of a sport that is having to take place in fewer and fewer regions because of global warming, um, is being enjoyed by fewer and fewer people because of its expense and because of the competition with other more accessible sports, then 
in 30 years time, we may look back at this moment and these opportunities, like we look back at our glaciers and just say, I wish we would have done more. And so I think it's important for the survival of the sport to have more than just 10 nations have the ability to meddle in these sports. And that's why, that's why the, the greater we, I believe, should be interested in this. From my point of view, I was able to use the kind of sum total of all of my life experiences to understand how to get to the Olympics. I am certain that had I not been in a situation of being my own manager and agent for myself as a DJ for the better part of 10 years and having not had I not ran businesses successfully and unsuccessfully, um, and had I not spent some time in finance and all of the other kind of life skills that I'd accumulated along the way, had I had one less of those, I'm certain I would have failed um, in my journey of getting to the Olympics. And it's just sad because there are many athletes out there that are much stronger athletically than I am, but would never have had the chance to go to the Olympics because they would have been missing the business acumen or the ability to kind of navigate the IOC and the Jamaican Olympic Association. So I just want to pass forward my experiences and, and, and my lessons learned so that the next wave of alpine ski racers that represent Jamaica or the next Nordic skiers can have an easy ride of it. This is not the, the hill that I'll die on. This is not the thing that I'll spend the next 30 or 40 years doing, but I'm committed to being involved for the next Olympic cycle or two um, and helping kind of put this machine in motion and get the momentum going so the ball can kind of really get going and then I can pass it off to someone else. But it just, in the same way how I was that one person that had to show that it was possible to get to the Olympics, I feel like I'm still that one person to show that this is not just about one person going. Let's get a half a dozen or 10 athletes representing Jamaica and let's get maybe another half a dozen or another two dozen countries to the Olympics in 2026 and then let that momentum carry on and show that it's possible. I just feel that sometimes there's a couple of people that just see the wood for the trees and how easy it can be. And everyone else just writes it off as too difficult and too hard. And I'm, I feel like I'm that person that can just see what are the capabilities here right now. Hmm. Incredibly well said. Incredibly well said. And, you know, you touched on a number of different things there. But I think just coming back, and you and I talked about this, but that idea of like, well, wait, this should be about the 1%, the absolute best of the best. That is, you know, what these pinnacle contests, athletic contests should be about and who they should be for. I think you've just stated perfectly the case about how about we ensure the future of these sports and the relevance of these sports. Anybody that doesn't get that argument, they're not actually the right defenders of these activities that we all love i would i would say yeah yeah well i mean i look at it from another way i truly believe that if there was a well-funded um project and again i'm just gonna i'm gonna lean on 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 uh, nordic skiing a lot just because of the level of transferable skills but it's all part of this world of skiing it falls under the same uh, international ski federation like who would bet money against a well-funded project finding a top 10 cross-country skiing somewhere in the continent of Africa. Who would mm -hmm. bet money against that? Right, Knowing right. how dominant <laughs> they are in track and right. field and long-distance running. No one would bet money against that, but no one has gone out there and said, okay, let's, let's see if we can do this. And I could envisage a world where a big chunk of the, you know, the, the Ghanaian national team or, you know, there are many countries that have incredible athletes. And if they just had a bit of guidance and a little bit of funding, I think we could find some superstars that could be part of that 1% of the most elite athletes on the planet, uh, but in cross-country skiing. 
And then hopefully that could even translate into alpine skiing. There's no reason why we don't have an incredibly talented black alpine ski racer. The only reason is because maybe not enough black families of our previous generation deemed that to be a sport that their families should be a part of or deemed that to be a sport where they could feel like they would get some enjoyment out of. And hopefully that's changing. And hopefully my mission, uh, the small part of my mission that I accomplished in February of this year, hopefully that just shifted the balance just a tiny bit. I, I don't want to take any credit for, 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 for kind of changing the direction of the sport, but just a tiny bit. And I hope that that's given more parents pause for thought to say, well, let's put this kid into alpine ski racing this year instead of basketball or instead of some other activity. Give me the next update. What else should we be hearing about from what you've been up to and working on? Right. So I'm hoping to do a little work with some charities here to, to kind of build some ties here in the United States to for two reasons. One, to find a kind of feeder system for athletes who may be representing uh, nations that are unrepresented. So um, in a couple of hours, I'm actually going to a charity uh, event for a charity called um, From Hoods to Woods, which is exactly what it says on the tin. They, they pick up young kids from the, the hood uh, in, in the greater New York area, and they fully funded, take them up to the closest mountain and get them on snowboards, which is an incredible um, an incredible charity, and I'm, I'm really keen to support them. Um, one of my main sponsors, one of my main financial sponsors, uh, an entity called Gangels here in New York, bought a table at the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Charity Dinner um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I'm looking at hopefully collaborating with the U.S. Ski Team, with some of our Jamaican athletes, the majority of whom actually live in the United States, to see if there's some way we can kind of split the costs and share the burden of that training with an established old guard, such as the United States. That's exciting. Um, and then there's another charity that I'm hoping to do some work with called uh, Winter for Kids, also based uh, out here on the Eastern Seaboard. They have uh, a facility, one of the best facilities for kind of getting underprivileged kids onto alpine and cross-country skis. And I'm hoping to use that as a training ground for the moment after we found our first kind of batch of hopefuls, shall we say, from, from Jamaica proper. And then there's a bunch of other stuff going on. Um, we have two incredible figure skaters of Jamaican descent. They live in Miami, um, or just outside of Miami. We were trying to get them to 2022. Unfortunately, there's a rule that states that if your country doesn't have an ice skating rink, then you can't have ice skaters at the Olympics, which, which seems kind of strange. So I was speaking to Emily Hughes, former U.S. Um, Olympian uh, figure skater, about trying to figure out a way to petition that rule um, or maybe what, figure out what the smallest size ice skating rink qualifies as an ice skating rink. Um, there is a hockey team in the greater Toronto area, a Jamaican hockey team that we're hoping will qualify for 2026. And there's even a curling team. So, you know, I, I'm really excited to see the potential of this, you know, the Jamaican ski or the Jamaican kind of winter sports offering balloon to 10 athletes at the, the next games, maybe 15 athletes and soon be a full offering of 30 or 40 athletes, especially if we can get the, the, the hockey guys uh, qualified. So can you tell us a bit about some of the individuals that should just be on our radar? Maybe these are some of the folks who we might be hearing more about and perhaps we will be seeing in one of the next Olympic Games. Yeah, absolutely. So we hinted, I believe, at the triplets. Uh, so there are these three incredible athletes that have been skiing their entire lives. 
They um, started ski racing about 10 years ago. They are 15 years old now, so they'll be 18 at the next games. And I have no doubt that they'll be well beyond the 160 fist point you know, qualification criteria come those games. And I'm super excited about them having a real potential to do something um, in alpine ski racing. Maybe not at the age of 18, but in, 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 the, in, in, in kind of a bit beyond that, maybe their second Olympic showing. And having triplets be the continuation to the beginning of the Jamaican ski team is just going to blow this whole story up. I spoke about 8.7 billion media impressions for me, the old guy, you know, the DJ that became a, a skier. I think these guys are just going to explode that. And what's great about that is it allows me to start having conversations with their sponsors to say, look, they may not podium. And in fact, they're most likely not to podium. But the amount of media attention and coverage that you will get by supporting them, especially starting to support them now, is likely to far exceed most of the other athletes on your roster, even those that are going to be going to be podiuming. Um, and it could potentially be something like the Lewis Hamilton moment for Formula One, or the Tiger Woods moment for golf, or the Ser- Venus and Serena sister uh, Williams sisters for tennis. This coming out moment for people of color in sport to show that this is this is possible. So I'm super excited about that. Um, there's another young athlete of, of Italian descent as well, Italian Jamaican descent, who's been ski racing for a little while. He's a year younger than the triplets. There is a English athlete, um, who used to ski race. He's almost 30 now. Um, his father, his Jamaican father is one of the only black ski instructors in the entire region of Austria where he spends his winters. Um, and he reached out to me and said, look, I, I tried to do this 10 years ago, eight years ago, but I just got stuck in the quagmire of understanding how it would be possible. Um, and so people like that are the exact type of people I'm excited to help. We have our, hopefully our first ever snowboarder. We're figuring out some passport issues, um, but he's already top five, top 10 freestyle snowboarder in, um, in Canada. Um, and so I'm really excited about not just showing up and coming dead last next time around for Jamaica, but actually having a decent opportunity to finish like potentially in the top 30 or, or, or in the top 40 for some of these athletes. So super excited about that. As it pertains to Nordic, absolutely no clue. Um, it could be, you know, it's, it's going to be like a lottery type situation. It'll be a, a case of understanding who has the endurance of cold and who has the desire to try something that's a little bit new and innovative. That's not just the, you know, the blazed trough, the path of following the footsteps of Usain Bolt or Shelly Ann Fraser Price, who wants to take a risk and try to go to the Winter Olympics. And that one really excites me a lot because, as I said, the, tra- the high level of transferable skills means that I think we'll be able to find someone who's really good pretty quickly. So good. I, I just love this stuff. I love door openings. I love pioneers. I like evolution of these things. I, I, I just find this really, really exciting. It is. And I think it could change the landscape of, of the sport yes. entirely. And this is, again, something that happens slowly, right? It's not going to happen overnight. We're not going to turn on our TV screens in 2026, and they're not going to be an additional 200 people of color at those Olympics. But in two Olympics time, there's no reason why there wouldn't be an additional 200 people of color that won at the games that I went to. Absolutely no reason. And just showing that this is an inclusive place where people of all walks of life and of all kind of backgrounds, both socioeconomic and ethnic, can, can enjoy this playground that we all love so much. And that's, that's what's exciting about it to me. And I mean, I don't know if anybody needs this near history lesson, but even if we do come back to just something like the game of basketball, right? I mean, 
professional leagues used to be 100% white men, right? And then those leagues started to get opened up to black men. Then and now we have women's professional leagues and basketball has kind of exploded now into a fully international sport where we used to like to think in the United States, we kind of owned basketball. And you now look at who the best players in the world are. And there's an increasing number of those people who are coming from countries like Greece, right? And Eastern Europe. And I think that's just really interesting and exciting. We have seen this in a huge mainstream sport. And I think anybody who remains... um, skeptical about what you're talking about, how winter sports could evolve, I think should look at the very recent evolution of a sport like basketball. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Where else? Where else should we go before I let you go? I mean, that's really it. Those are the headlines of what's going on in the in the future of the Jamaican ski team and beyond, really. Uh, I'm super excited to kind of like take it to the next step and to see where we go with regards to uh, financial support, sponsorship support, um, how successful we can be in 2026. And as I said, like my my personal measure of success will be able to walk to be able to kind of like get the momentum in the ball and walk away from it and let it become a flywheel that's self perpetuating and for me not to have to be involved in it on a day to day basis. And that will be incredible. What's up for you personally next? Are you heading back to Jackson anytime soon? I cannot wait to get to Jackson. <laughs> I just saw the advert of three feet in the last uh, four days. Um, mountain opens over Thanksgiving. I'll be there about a week after that. Um, and then I'm heading back to where it all began. Um, one of my sponsors is taking me up to Micah, uh, the Heli Ski Lodge, which mm-hmm. is where I first yeah. saw my friend ski in the, in the Christmas of 2015. And decided that I wanted to try skiing. Uh, and this will be my first time back there since since the games. I got to go to Points North Heli up in Alaska in April, which was fantastic. Absolutely amazing. But I'm so stoked to go back to to, to Micah and to, and to Revelstoke. But yeah, I'll be spending a bunch of time in Jackson. Uh, love that mountain. Can't wait to get back out there. That's amazing. I love the Micah return. That's yeah. That seems very full circle and appropriate. Absolutely. Seven years later. Seven years later. <laughs> Well, hey, man, it's always a pleasure to talk, whether that is through emails or texts or whether we get to do it in you know a public forum like this. But um, I, I love what you're doing. It's very inspiring on a lot of levels. And you know, I'm certain you and I will continue to talk behind the scenes. And if there's any opportunity for us to be of help, you know, we'll, we'll uh, do what we can. And, and I know you know how to find me. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. The one thing that I would say for the listeners, and especially those that have made it all the way, all the way through to the end of the podcast here, is I am looking for support as it pertains to better understanding the world of Nordic skiing. Um, I'm looking for contacts in the world of Nordic skiing to be financial supporters of this of this project. Uh, I'm also looking for a coach crazy enough to spend some time in Jamaica with me to find this next generation of athletes, and this could then balloon into a whole global project. But Baby steps first would be to go down to to go down to Jamaica, um, you know, a fun holiday with a bit of kind of cross country roller skiing training. Um, and anyone that has any ideas in, in that world, I'm speaking to a couple of speed skaters already to have their input and 
and their support to figure out how to kind of do the what I'm calling the Erin Jackson. Um, Erin Jackson was the African-American gold medalist from this year's Olympics. She only put on a pair of ice skates five years ago. She qualified for Pyeongchang in three months and, as I said, became a gold medalist um, this year. And so that's another sport where we can get a high level of like transferable skills from something that can be trained in Jamaica proper. Um, and if there's anyone that's in, in that world that would also like to reach out to me, um, it's just Benji, B-E-N-J-I dot ski on Instagram. And I check my DMs there. So the best place for people to find you, and we are, we're going to start recruiting here. People in the Nordic world who have connections, please hit up Benji at, say it again. It's B-E-N-J-I, Benji dot ski, S-K-I on Instagram. Perfect. Amazing. Hey, appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate it. Always, always good to catch up and hear about the next thing you're working on. And um, please, please keep it going and uh, please come back for, uh, for future updates. Absolutely. I will do. Thank you again for having me and the continued interest in the story. All right. You take care. Thanks, buddy. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Benji once again for another great conversation and even more so really for the grand vision here. I love what Benji is doing and why he is doing it. And I sure hope all of you listening to this understand the significance here. I also want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode and thanks to you for listening. And from all of us here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.